Welcome everyone to your Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, Webheads. Here today to talk Spider-Man Far From Home. And Pete, before we rewind to reflect right as the movie comes out on home video uh, on the successes of the film, uh, I, I understand in the last couple of days there's been some modest news in uh, the Spider-Man land. From the low point of out of the MCU, oh, and hey, come see the movie again in theaters this weekend, which I don't know anybody who did to the film hitting home video and um, Spidey rejoining the MCU on a two-picture deal at this point. One, a solo movie ticketed for 2021. The second, a Avengers-style uh, MCU film remains unclear what exactly that will be. But good news for now. Uh, Matt, I maintained the entire time I urged caution, I urged optimism, and what do you know, they got it done. Uh, hopeful this will be extended past that because I know that you, I know that everybody else out there was super psyched for the Madam Spider film that got announced the day before this deal got done. I think that deal got this deal done. I mean, what what always surprised me about the two studios splitting up was Sony misread the landscape. I think they looked at all this success and I don't think, I think Sony thinks they made all these successes. Yes. Venom wildly outperformed. I think in part because people were expecting Venom to be a dumpster fire and instead it's a nice time at the movies, you know, whether you rent it, whether you saw it at the movies, like it's fun. It's not great. It's fun. They nail the Venom look like it's it's like Chernobyl 3.6 Ronchin. Not great. Not terrible. Um, and obviously, you know, Spider-Verse, you know, massive success, Oscar winner, et cetera, et cetera. But like how much of that was Sony and how much of that was, you know, the the, the animation brains, uh, Lord and Miller and the team they put together, et cetera, et cetera. Um, how much of that was Amy Pascal, you know, versus you know the people now running sony this at the end of the day cooler heads prevailed interestingly disney essentially got what it first pitched it will pay for 25 percent of the budget and it will take 25 percent of the profits um which you know gets them in there financially i think it's from sony's end does it hedge you against possibly the next movie doesn't do as well or you know some kind of less than best case scenario and uh, there's also minimal buzz, but buzz nonetheless. Maybe in the future there's further sharing. You know, maybe you get that Iron Man poster in the back of Venom 2 or something like that to just kind of have detente, have peace, and realize we can have fun with Spider-Man movies and variants of Spider-Man, etc. I think Sony was a little too emboldened by the outrageous critical success of spider-man into the spider-verse to the point where okay if we slap spider-man on it it will do well i mean listen all deference to madam spider but 
you know, nobody's breaking down doors to go see that. So here we are. We get the greatest incarnation of the character in live action done to this point in Tom Holland's uh, Spider-Man. One more solo film, one more team up adventure. And we just got to keep crossing our fingers that there's entirely too much money remaining on the table for them to not hammer something out. Well, and speaking of the money, look, Disney had this great, uh, you know, this great PR move, social media move in terms of them demonstrating themselves as the, the injured party here. I think that something that does get forgotten, just to be fair, is fine. Disney was making next to no money. There was some sort of like Marvel handling fee that it was making off the uh, the Tom Holland movies, but it, basically it was making no money. It did also get Spider Man in Avengers movies, which I would argue is more valuable than what if right if for Far From Home, um, uh, Disney got a slice of the pie. You know, we're talking. $250 million. I'm sorry, let me because theaters have to take their cut. We're talking $125 million. Okay, that's nice. But isn't Spider-Man in Civil War and the last two Avengers movies, is that worth more than $125 million of box office, of story, of audience enthusiasm? I have to think the answer is yes. Yeah, and these films have exceeded, I think, what anybody really thought would be the case. I mean, remember Matt when the hack happened at Sony and then it had leaked. All right, they're trying to put something together and then they made that deal come about for civil war and you know, just how excited we were about that. And then to get the solo films, I'm not going to lie. I think the integration in the greater MCU has been, far better for the character. The The solo movies are very good, um, but there's just something about having Spidey interact with Cap and with Tony Stark and all those other characters. Well, obviously a lot of enthusiasm over this. Pete, did you hear about the clip that Tom Holland posted to Instagram on Friday when uh, news broke? I did. Well, for those who haven't, here's that clip. Pete, I've cleaned it up. Uh, because there's some naughty Martin Scorsese words in there, but uh, I've honked those out. So, listeners, take a listen. You know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not f-ing leaving! The show goes on! This is my home! They're gonna need a Pete, lots of fun there. I mean, look, Tom Holland, young guy. I got no problem if he's sharing little cursy clips on his Instagram of all places. Pete, the Insta feels like family. Twitter feels like you're yelling in the middle of town square. So, (laughs) you know. um, Facebook feels like a fight at Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) So, you know, Pete, the fans won. The fans, you know, I, I think without even any like, Oh, well, I'm going to boycott and never see another Tom Holland spy. Well, no, that's too far. It was just like fans were upset at this. And you know what? The, these heartless, soulless corporations, they worked out something. They're going to make some money. Uh, we win as fans because we get the thing that we want. Yeah. Just keep Amy Pascal the heck away from our Spider-Man. 
Well, Pete, with that, let's rewind to our original Spider-Man Far From Home review. Welcome, everyone, to the Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. You don't want any part of this. The Marvel Movie Podcast by Fantastic Geek for Spider-Man Far From Home is brought to you by Night Monkey. Nobody believes the news. Pete, as we record this, Box Office Mojo is calling for a $180 million six-day domestic opening. That, of course, with the unusual Tuesday opening. Uh, that's on top of about $225 million taken in the international box office. So this film off to a rip-roaring start at the box office around the world. Where would the 180-day total uh, place it this year in terms of uh, opening weekends that are not six days? Pete, to answer your question, if we look at this six-day spread out opening across uh, you know, the July 4th holiday, uh, if we count that as a weekend, uh, it would be number two for the year. Uh, of course, number one being Avengers Endgame at 357. Captain Marvel was the number two. You know, Pete, the the much boycotted Captain Marvel had a $153 million opening weekend. Uh, third place is Toy Story 4 at 120. You know, there's probably a certain argument to be made. Are we talking apples and apples versus apples and oranges because of a variety of factors, including literally more days? But just to give you that ballpark number here, we're talking top three for the year. A good gulp of a box office dough. Uh, at least, Matt, a little over a year until the next Marvel Studios movie opens. We, we don't even know what it'll be, Black Widow. Certainly, there's nothing official. I think anybody who is reading the tea leaves knows it's probably Black Widow. Uh, but, you know, Pete, there's also people who just found out within the last 24 hours that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is not running for 22 episodes this season. So I think it's it's always good to keep in mind that we and our listeners were a little bit on the deep end on this stuff. And, uh, you know, for the audience at large, they have no idea what's coming next. When we catch you up on what went down, Extenco, Mexico. Yes, I must confess, I was surprised to see us diving right on into as of yet unnamed Mysterio and uh, perhaps overly named or inaccurately named Nick Fury and Maria Hill, but we'll discuss that later. Uh, we dive right on in the notion that there's been chaos and destruction and whatnot. And uh, then, you know, out of the blue with the, the Marvel Studios logo, of course, we, we don't get the Marvel Studios music uh, for these Spider-Man movies, probably some sort of horse trading with uh, Sony. But we do get Peter Sad song that leads into the In Memoriam. Yes, Whitney Houston's uh, cover of Dolly Parton's I Will Always Love You. Uh, poignant, funny at the same time right into the the midtown high school uh newscast here explaining all about the blip 
I think that we as TV and film viewers are so used to expositional newscast and it usually being this, you know, so coincidentally timed thing in terms of, you know, right when our heroes are wondering where CSI needs to go next, that's when they hear the radio report say reports of, you know, laser beams three blocks from here and they say let's go with csi or whatever it might be here this just fit it just worked it's the notion of the end of the school year we're wrapping things up we're going to have all of those questions answered at least the spider-man questions answered that we had at the end of Endgame. are all of these people what now going back to school how does this work what's the function we're all of the spider-man core cast you know the high school and anyway were they all did they all go at the same time all of this gets answered in a really really quick manner we get this kind of you know i love that this is not a greatly produced newscast occasionally the guy is looking at the wrong <laughs> camera uh we have betty occasionally giving an underwhelmed reading or an underwhelmed whatever it might be and you know that that sigh of oh we had to start the year fresh even though we hadn't missed any of the year and things of that sort and just it all comes together so perfectly yes and the further exposition that it has been eight months since everyone has uh returned here so now five years eight months our our timeline this far out and which by the way pete if i if i could interrupt to just note that um there's always been this question i think when you read stuff in the press about these spider-man movies how much of it is marvel and how much of it is sony there are amy pascal quotes and again you know amy pascal look i'm about to say she had nothing to do with this movie that's unfortunate she's had a great producing career post running sony she got the short end of the stick when she got booted out of sony post hack let's not forget hack uh she's a terribly terrible person (laughs) well okay here's what i'm trying to say though i don't know that she deserved to be fired but she did and got this producing deal on the way out etc etc but that's all lead up to amy pascal there's a quote it might be from a year or two ago but there's a quote of her saying this next spider-man movie starts moments after endgame ends Fast forward to us seeing Far From Home. Uh, no, it doesn't. Amy Pascal apparently was not in the inner sanctum on this one, uh, because as you say, Pete, it's eight months later. Yes, uh, the exposition continues with the people who did not blip out. They're all five years older. The crystallizing example is the character of Brad Davis, who was an awkward little kid, now a hunky teen. And again, I feel like it's kind of screenwriting 101, mean that in the best sense, where we have that one face of change, particularly since through narrative convenience, everybody else that we kind of identify with, kind of the, you know, obviously Peter and then Ned and Betty, etc., have not aged. MJ, how did I leave MJ out? Uh, have not aged they all blipped they all returned so you get that kind of constant contrast in there flash as well has not uh so you know this is this is a great kickoff for the story it does seem like there's a disproportionate number of people in the spider-man 
story who all blipped out so that they could tell this story and they not be older, but you know, 50% of like, like I agree, Pete, but you know, what are the odds? The odds are 50% of all life. Like it's, it's not, it's, it's Pete. It's like any of these other debates, whether it's little mermaid or anything else, you can't, where do you draw the line between, well, I accept this one fictionally crazy thing, like purple guy with a, glove can kill people but but no how dare you do this or do that it's to me it's all kind of in the spirit of this is this is what the story demanded i mean all the high school kids and aunt may well I mean, <laughs> not all of them pete just coincidentally aunt all, may, all the ones nephew, we care about <laughs> her nephew's best friend uh the girl that her nephew's best friend was going to like her nephew's Bully, uh, and uh, the the future wife question mark certainly future love interest in MJ, the teacher, the teacher. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. It is indeed. Cut to the homeless benefit with Aunt May, and we learn which if you watch trailers you already knew that aunt may and happy are somehow together and uh yeah i did read in passing that and i don't know how legit this is it was on the wikipedia which pete always reminds us you know is subject to to different sourcing but that uh sony insisted this movie came out this year perhaps uh marvel would have preferred something earlier or something not in the summer so that it wasn't so that you weren't advertising look spider-man is back with all of his friends aunt may and happy hogan a handful of weeks after endgame uh which in my mind is a little bit too far like did we really think spider-man was dead for good like come on of all these characters but we get happy there happy kind of the new face, if you will, of uh, the Stark end of things. And that lets us lead into the beginning of a story arc that I was not fully prepared for, particularly in the middle and the end portion. And that is Peter's unresolved feelings about Tony Stark. Gets kind of overcome in his little, uh, you know, meet and greet feelings about Tony of course, there's the scene in front of the, the big mural, and it's really a springboard to send us off to Venice. Ah, Venice. Always good to be in Venice in a movie uh, from Russia with Love, uh, other James Bond movies that have been there. I guess that's largely my experience with Venice in the movies, but... That is when the first uh, water elemental, I guess the only water elemental, it being Pete, the city of canals. That's when the water element, uh, elemental attacks. And, uh, of course, Peter has been dodging the calls from Fury. We'll now just take the quotes off and discuss the post-credit scene in the post-credit portion here. But, uh, you know, he's been dodging Fury's calls and we have worlds collide. Yes, it's a decent introduction as far as the the bigger action pieces are concerned there's some issues that work best to talk about when we discuss theories later on but this is where uh you know peter is obviously exposed to quentin beck uh mysterio who apparently 
uh, before in um, in Mexico had not had any kind of media coverage whatsoever. But I, in my head, canon math, there he would have been Mister Rio. <laughs> I'll add this, Pete, as to the whole Venice portion here, the Venice attack, etc. Here's the burden of this action set piece. It needs to be lower stakes than some of the following stories. Uh, well, some of the following stories. Uh, Black Panther, which among other things needs to establish the whole you know, country of Wakanda and everything that's going to take place Avengers-wise there. Okay, then we have infinity war with all of its big ramifications then we have captain marvel setting up interstellar war uh also have ant-man and the wasp in there that lower key but also needs to set up the quantum realm and everything that lets uh ant-man come back in endgame and all the stuff in endgame now we're just gonna have peter in a you know in a little italian joker mask funny guy clown mask fighting you know a, a water creature as you know church towers fall that kind of thing that's the burden of the scene and it just needs to be a good old rollicking fun time at the movies and not you know grave importance to the universe and the upshot is that it's that that brings peter and fury and beck all together learning about uh you know the the higher stakes if you will that uh you know, we have the multiverse misdirect that goes on there and the uh, Tony Stark glasses. Edith, love the acronym, even dead, I'm the hero, wind up in the hands of the hero and maybe headed to the other hero, not really hero. Fantastic use here, you know, the powers that come with Edith and then immediately or almost immediately the story kryptonites them away uh, because it's difficult to imagine this story where he has access to, you know, unlimited power. And there are, of course, these uh, multiple, we can assume, satellites. We only see the one, but there's like any infinite number of satellites up there that give us story solutions whenever we need them. So the story wisely takes that out of Peter's hands, gives them to mysterio and pete it's during this time betty looks at ned ned looks at betty and romance blooms pete i in no way expected to have more caring for the character of betty brandt a character that's from the first year of spider-man comics maybe even the first couple issues this is an og character and for her to get characterization here and important character support time supporting character time blew my mind it was it was a delight it's yet another thing this movie does lightly and well the story then moves to prague where uh of course peter rightfully not quite breaks the fourth wall but kind of taps on the notion of willful suspension of disbelief hey spider-man can't keep showing up while we're on class trips and peter parker isn't around so he gets given his black shield suit and uh, is in Prague where the fire elemental attacks. Yeah, what we're told is the, the big, huge thing we've got to prevent. Again, that misdirection um, and in thwarting that attack, ultimately with Fury and Beck, the call to go to Berlin, form a new team. Wait, Matt. 
an, an Avenger is is going to be on on another uh, Avenging team. This one with some people from another Earth. Eh, not so much. And he rejects it. He's not ready for it. Kind of bringing that idea of following Tony of being the new Iron Man through. And again, a very subtle through line here that that of course is building towards uh, uh, a little bit later on when we're headed towards London. But in the interim, I mean, so believable that this 16-year-old kid does not want to be the next Iron Man, particularly, oh my, look what happened to the last Iron Man. Of course, it's just too much. And his kind of constant pleas, just let me have my field trip. This has been such a harrowing last year i just want to be a kid and relax a little bit um it's so believable it's so relatable and uh we of course it's while in prague that mj has figured out 100 percent, or is it 70 percent, or is it 60 percent? but ends up being 100 percent that uh, she knows he is spider-man but pete that's not the only thing to happen in prague yeah for my money the best sequence of the film is when Beck and his crew are revealed. He's got Edith now and we get the whole connection back to the barf technology, the disgruntled Stark employees, the dude who was in Iron Man one connected here, all these cronies, all these people out to undo the guy who saved the universe's legacy. And Pete, let's not forget that we, of course, have the screen return of Peter Billingsley. That's your techity tech guy from Iron Man. Oh, wait, Pete. That's Ming Ming from Elf. Oh, wait, Pete. That's <laughs> Ralphie from The Christmas Story. I am not kidding. Look at his eyes in the movie, and then you too will be transported back to Christmas circa 1950 <laughs> and trying to get yourself a Red Rider BB gun. You'll shoot your eye out, kid. Uh, from Prague, there's another find, and that, of course, is the find of the drone debris where MJ and Peter alike realize, oh, my goodness, this was all a scam. Pete, Beck and company have have used the media to trick them, in trick the world into thinking, oh, man, only Beck can save the day. We need to elevate him. You know, Zendaya just brings such a presence to this character and and the snark, but at the same time, the underlying innocence and purity that she possesses, kind of different from the other role she has right now uh, on HBO's Euphoria, but... Um, that's, that, that, that's proof of she's such a phenomenal actress because oh, of course. you watch the first 15 minutes of Euphoria and you can't th- this is somebody her character in Euphoria kind of looks like MJ but at no time are you like hey that's MJ who also is doing questionable things you watch these two things this summer and you realize she's an amazing actress she is. And, you know, she's such a welcome addition to the Marvel Cinematic Universe that you have to imagine as it continues forward is going to get more and more to do. Um, but here, you know, between the debris, between, oh, yeah, 
uh, your Spider-Man, I put it together. Oh, I had it mostly put together. Again, you, you, you believe her, you don't believe her. It works both ways. You had mentioned that Peter didn't want to go to Berlin because the trip wasn't going to Berlin. They, of course, they, the whole school trip finds out because the teacher has been on the phone complaining about this stuff. Guess what? The trip has a complimentary stop now in Berlin, which gets everybody there. And a really, really surreal and fun, though it's high stakes, scene where uh, Spider-Man and Mysterio fight in this environment where everything is uh, everything is hologram and mysterious and you don't know what is true and what isn't. They really nailed the in-your-head magician trickery of Mysterio, who, let's be honest, is, is not at the top of the pantheon of villains you would have brought into a Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, Spider-Man movie, you know? They haven't reached yet for Norman Osborn, Green Goblin. They haven't reached yet for Dr. Octopus, obviously because those had been done and done big before in those other movies. So we're kind of we're working backwards to those bigger ones and to do it with Mysterio, to do it with Jake Gyllenhaal and to execute it this way was absolutely the right move. It definitely was. And it's also at a portion in the story where it appears to us that Fury has been tricked because Maria Hill was a was a hologram as this scene uh, unfolds. But that, of course, is just set up because uh, we, not we, Mysterio wants Peter to confess to holographic Fury. Again, Pete, the layers here, since there really is no real Fury till the very end of the movie. But all of this is a big shell game so that peter can admit things to fury who is himself just a projection from mysterio yeah and the schemes within the schemes here only build the confidence of our villain heading into this final act all of which uh, catapults us into the final act peter is hit by a train transporting him to the Netherlands, which, surprise, surprise, Matt, not surprise, is filled with nice people. Nice people who speak English very, very well. Hey, can I borrow your cell phone? Of course. Where are we? Say the name, etc. Um, and also, Pete, we get tulips. I mean, it's just the Netherlands, you know. Uh, There's one thing missing in the Netherlands scene, Matt, and I think you know who it is. Why didn't they get Fred from the Netherlands to play the nice, the, the, the nice Dutch man who helps out Peter Parker? I assume it's for one of two reasons. Probably the first is Fred was busy. Second, uh, the actor that they got may, may be a super famous person. Fred was like, you know what? You go ahead. You have your moment. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of some other things. And then with Happy to the Rescue here, we get the stark technology the building of the new suit how are we going to resolve the conflict here head to london well wait before we head to london here's what blew me away about them being in the plane and the stark tech and everything i guess 
between the mystery, you know, fine, close one eye. I don't know what movie is coming out next. It's Black Widow. But without that slate, I mean, think back to when we got Kevin Feige on stage five years ago. Uh, I think it was the first time that Chadwick Boseman was announced or on stage or whatever it was where this kind of timeline was laid out. And we were kind of used to that. And I had never really stopped to think, well, what is their internal timeline for the future? You then add to it the Sony stuff. Does Tony, does Sony want to stick with Tom Holland and all that contract stuff, et cetera, et cetera. On the, in the plane here where, you know, you have the familiar music from the beginning of Iron Man. You have Happy watching the next, maybe not the next Iron Man, but the replacement for Iron Man kind of take his place in the pantheon. That's when I said to myself, oh my goodness, I know Spider-Man is an important character, valued, these movies make a lot of money, etc. Marvel has plans for Spider-Man to be at the center of the next phase. Oh, it's undoubtable. Um, to London with that final battle, which is, is good, but I, I think not as good as it might have been. Um, it is a you little, know, you know, a bunch of CGI things in the sky fight our heroes, which is many a battle. Um, I think, you know, the drones are apropos. Uh, drones are a, you know, it's an effective way to be making these projections and to have the quasi Mysterio helmet, you know, the see-through one that, that, uh, that he's wearing with his motion capture suit. You know, I think it's the best solution for this movie. And I love how the production of the film and, uh, you know, the, the tech mirrors the tech that would actually be used for the, the fishbowl helmet. Yeah, it's it, it's all a fun bit of stuff. Uh, we, of course, throughout the movie had the idea of the, the, the Peter Tingle being um, set up here, which... Pete, you think back to, I guess, Homecoming. I mean, because we, we didn't get a ton of Spider-Man in Civil War. But in Homecoming, they, of course, jump over the spider bite suit version one. Kind of, or, you know, I mean, they had it, but it wasn't like, I will make a suit. I will make the... They kind of fast forward through a lot of that. And I don't think anyone was missing the lack of Spidey sense in Homecoming. I don't think it was, you know, where is it? Did they forget it? Like, it just kind of didn't come up in my mind then you get it a tiny bit in uh in the avengers movies you know especially in the the preview the the hairs uh, raising on his arm and whatnot but to think that they've been holding it off for this movie one can assume and it becomes a key part to winning the battle because all his other senses are yeah. being tricked by mysterio and it is the spider sense which of course never gets named that but it's the spider sense that lets him win at the end and it's like, boom, now Spider-Man is complete by the end of this battle. They Jedi, uh, you know, force power the concept by delaying it and making it the thing that helps him resolve the conflict that in other ways, in traditional senses, doesn't seem doable. Even down to, like, in my mind, the cherry on top, it's one thing where it's like, oh, Spider-Man can't kill. Like, I'm watching this in real time saying he can't 
kill Mysterio here, but oh, turn off the safeties, you drones! And then now he ha- now Spider Man has a shield. Oh no, Mysterio has been hit by his own bullet. This is how we solve this. But no, no, that's a projection too, and to use the spider sense to grab him for real and to get to the the conclusion there. It's just you know that last bit of the battle really really is inspired even if the stuff leading up to it is just kind of your run-of-the-mill comic book movie cgi you know flying army attack it is and when we come back home to newark airport yes actual shots of newark airport and new york uh the trajectory very very clear and it's at this point you know peter MJ, the swing, and I love how they cut the swing mid-sequence, and we jump into possibly the greatest Marvel Cinematic Universe mid credit sequence of all time. I will say, Pete, it is the greatest, and here's why it's the greatest. In a certain sense, you can't top the post credit scene in Iron Man where Nick Fury comes out, Avengers Initiative, etc., you can't top it, but also it was without precedent. And did it suggest a a direction? It did. But did they have a direction? No, they did not. As they're making this, they had one Marvel movie done, and Hulk had had problems and wasn't out of theaters yet, et cetera, et cetera. So to, to bring back J.K. Simmons, to recontextualize the Daily Bugle now as kind of, you know, a somewhat fringe but also noticeable online uh, website to just, Pete, it's like the last 50 or 60 years of of the Daily Bugle and J. Jonah Jameson. It's led up to a point in time now where it fits most perfectly. And Pete, I have never heard spontaneous applause and cheering out of an audience at a mid or post credit scene. And that is what happened at our showing People and so happy to see him. Yes. Came from Matt himself. I so badly wanted to record his reaction. I kept hyping this scene for him. <laughs> and uh, he didn't know what it was. Uh, you know, there were a lot of spoilers flying around. And, and we saw it in a theater, uh, 6.15 on uh, Tuesday, July 2nd. Uh, but Matt's daughter was with us. So sitting between us, I didn't want to get the reaction there, but, uh, it got the reaction from him. It got the reaction from everybody else in the theater. I think they were looking for. I mean, you can't do better than JK Simmons period in this role. He, he was so good in the Tobey Maguire ones and it was the right thing to do period end of sentence and just absolutely wonderful. And then I thought that was enough. But then for them to actually out Peter Parker as Spider-Man, I still can't fully comprehend where they're going to go with this. I have some theories. We could talk about it in a bit. But that was equally shocking. Yeah. And to lead into the end credit ha-ha with Fury and Hill revealed as Skrulls all along and Nick Fury with Skrulls in space again with this wide open canvas other than black widow uh ahead of us um you know does it does it come up there does it come up in 
you know, a, a Black Panther movie? Does it come up in a Doctor Strange movie? Again, there's a plan. We don't know it yet, uh, but we're starting to get indications of it. The dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. Quentin Beck, Mysterio, Matt, um, Jake Gyllenhaal once potentially up for the role of Spider-Man, went to Tobey Maguire, now plays a villain in a Spider-Man movie. <laughs> and in the interim, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, still super employable, been in some Best Picture nominees, etc. Tobey Maguire, nothing but love for him, loved his turn as Spider-Man. What's he done since Spider-Man? Not a whole lot, so... Jill Hall certainly winning the long game. Uh, but as you suggest, Pete, some fitting casting here, particularly since he's spending the first half of the movie as a hero, and then surprise, surprise, he turns bad, which is a trope that has appeared in more than a couple Marvel movies. Right. The potential mentor turned the worst nightmare, literally and figuratively here. And are they dealing with metaphor? Is is this just a story? Uh, it's interesting that you can kind of apply both takes to it. I, Pete, here's where we're going to be serious. We're not joking around here. Um, I here's here's my take. Do I think that they set out to do an allegory reflecting a modern day figure who? has used uh, public perception, news, etc., to vault himself to heights previously thought impossible. I don't think this is a one-for-one -one allegory. Is it somewhat noteworthy that, you know, Marvel Studios, which, you know, certainly appears to be, at the very least, a little left-leaning with casting and things, things like that, that they choose this backbench comic character who also is a master manipulator of news media and perception and things like that I, I suspect if you had kevin feige here he would say this is a classic character from 1963 that stan lee and jack kirby made etc cetera, etc cetera, and he he wouldn't admit to a thing but i feel like a little bit of they're, they're kind of nudging it out there into the arena and if you want to pick up that interpretation it's up to we the audience to interpret these things, not to say, here's what the authors intended and we are stuck by that. They could have been a whole lot more on the nose. And I think that the discretion here is out of a multitude of reasons. There's a lot of red meat in Spider-Man. Um, and you're talking about Sony's involvement. And listen, most of, if not all of Hollywood would look to pick if they had their druthers, but this is a situation where, all right, we've got two studios involved. We're going to make enough of a connection, but you know what? If you didn't pick it up, uh, it might've been, it might've been just a mirage. There's a Michael Eisner quote uh, that I don't have in front of me, but it, it, it's basically this talking about Disney. I know obviously he's long since gone, but it's uh, like, our job is not to make art. Our job is not to make classics. Our job is to make money. If along the way we make money and make art and classics, uh, that's all the better. So at the end of the day, is this a perfectly, a perfectly wonderful villain, one that isn't, with all due respect to 
you know, the Andrew Garfield 2 and the Tobey Maguire 3, you know, are we really going to do Green Goblin again at this point? Are we really going to do, you know, uh, Harry the Friend at this point? Are we really going to do Gwen Stacy at this point in this universe? Awesome in Spider-Verse, don't get me wrong. Like, they're looking for new stuff, and this this takes you back to the beginning, and that's all that's all great stuff there. If along the way this happens to capture a certain time in a certain place uh and have a have a quiet message there well then there's your accidental art or your on-purpose art but along the way to you know you know the goal is the, the, the last uh tom holland movie made 880 million dollars the goal is hey let's break a billion dollars here and everybody goes home happy that's their number one goal allegory there or not yeah and when you look at a supporting uh, nemesis within this film and and yes he's got quite a few and all these disgruntled stark employees but the one that gets obviously the most attention is william ginter reva uh connected reached back for all the way to the og to iron man one the flashback there of obadiah stain choking this guy out and boom, 22 movies later, Matt, they do this. In, in, in and of itself, it's an accomplishment. It is, and it's a way to do the secret history, which normally I'm not a fan of. I said that on this week's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast as well. But you get that secret history of the fact that Reva was actually there, same actor, Peter Billingsley, etc., was actually there in the first Iron Man movie, and then if you cheat and say, oh, you did not know Jake Gyllenhaal was in Civil War, that's because he was in the shadows and we shot the footage for this movie. And some other people were wronged by him too, some of which get flashbacks and others are told, good job, lady, for joining our team. Uh, it's all about Reva gluing it together here. Pete, hashtag, it's all Ralphie Nected. And then the future of spider-man with j jonah jameson and there had been all this speculation over who they could get to play it and then jk simmons shows up at the uh red carpet premiere and people are like oh it's so nice that they invited that guy back from those old movies and not even realizing they were hiding that cameo in uh plain sight we go back to Natalie Portman with Endgame. We go back to Ray Park with Star Wars, uh, the solo uh, spinoff. Uh, this pretty much a thing in Hollywood now. So watch the red carpets and you're going to get an inkling as to secret cameos. Well, Pete, behind the scenes for each podcast that we do, there are secret cameos. Those are the people who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Luckily, they're not yelling at us over the dailybugle.net, but they are they are going to patreon.com slash fantastic geek to share their support of what we do. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content. All it takes is a dollar to get more. So get yourself to patreon.com slash fantastic geek today. Welcome to level seven. Time to analyze and theorize J. Jonah Jameson, an MCU first, Matt, the first existing actor 
to play a character coming over now to a Marvel Studios joint playing that same character. Gotta be your villain in the third Spider-Man film, right? Well, I don't know. And certainly that certainly is one possibility. I think now is as good a time as any to remind everybody that uh, something to be honest, I'd completely forgotten about in the lead up to this movie. We still do have Adrian Toomes as played by Michael Keaton. We still do have him in prison, keeping the secret of Spider-Man's identity, which was so important and so clearly going to lead into homecoming Two, for lack of a title. If we roll back a couple of years ago, um, clearly that's where things would be headed and no reference of him here. Now his one, get out of jail free card question mark now that has been apparently blown up um uh, pete the road is wide open kind of ties back to what we were talking about before there is no currently there is currently no release uh you know map there is no here's when avengers 5 is coming out certainly J. jonah jameson could be your main villain or a villain in three let's just hope they don't go the sony route and add as many villains as there are numbers for the movie because then that would get a little bit too much let's just uh clarify there's no slate that is public there indeed exists uh yes, dates. yes. there indeed exists uh names scripts titles etc we just don't have them publicly yet uh, but Matt, if J. Jonah Jameson is not a big part of the third Spider-Man film, we riot. Indeed, Pete, indeed, have to have him play a major role there. Uh, looking ahead or pondering questions here, Fury in space with the scrolls. Uh, interview stuff has come out where the basic assumption is that it really, really was Fury at the funeral, which by Marvel chronology was eight months ago. So, you know, what is that setting up? Is the entire thing headed towards some sort of space battle, some sort of war in the stars? Pete, maybe maybe Disney can have three franchises surrounding battling in other on other planets with aliens, etc. <laughs> that he's doing it with the scrolls that we haven't full on done the secret invasion, which could be a, a larger storyline that there are other big potential threats out there that could be fantastic if the galactus could come in there or the silver surfer or uh all these other things that aren't thanos that hadn't been built up over that number of movies it's again so open to speculation at this point, but at least we've got a piece in a particular place. Um, talk a little bit more uh, later on, Matt, in this particular segment about Fury versus Nick. I think one of the one of the ways in which comic book universes, I mean, in the comics, you know, sometimes it, to to do all the zany things that they want to do that's when you have multiverses come in. And I think multiverses work a bit better on the page versus kind of in a, in a TV film setting. Not to say that DC hasn't done very well over there on the CW with some of those annual crossover type things, but we get in this movie, 
at least thus far, some pretty strong repudiation of the multiverse theory. And uh, Pete, I for one am relieved because I don't think, I think that after we have culled Iron Man and Captain America and Black Widow from the Pantheon here, it's an opportunity to be like a laser and focus the characters that are left. It's not, a, it's not time to say, oh man, we lost Chris Evans, we lost Robert Downey Jr., and we only have one left with Scarlett Johansson. We need to make this as wide open crazy and anything is possible because when anything is possible, then nothing really counts. And I think there's a big risk, too, of marketplace confusion. You have Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse and all the multiple characters brought in there. And to bring in a full-on multiverse here and now, not saying that it doesn't exist, but that we blow it up in this film that it's part of Mysterio's ploy uh, and, oh, I, I got Nick Fury and Maria Hill to believe it, those suckers. Oh, it's not them. They're not really suckers. It all works so well together. Particularly, and, you know, as I said before, Sony often ends up being in a bad light with many of this, many of these Spider-Man discussions, but kind of wise that the that the powers that be had it so we have the notion of spider-man and multiverse kind of so fresh and so recent uh because of the spider-verse film to then kind of hint that that could still be a thing here uh and then take it away like it it was good it was good in transition to say hey they did it in the one why not in the other um and we're already familiar with it etc etc so that was a good twist in and of itself on the airplane on the way to uh, Europe, there are some very interesting things you can see on the in-flight uh, movie menu. Uh, there's all sorts of documentaries. There's one about, uh, you know, Tony Stark. There's one about the snap, not the blip, the snap. Uh, there's one about Wakanda. There's one about Hydra. But uh, very interesting, there's one with Dr. Eric Selwig, Matt. Uh, it seems to be a Nova episode. They're talking about Einstein Rosenbridges, you know, black holes. Uh, but could they be teasing potentially in plain sight one of the unannounced films? Uh, Nova being, of course, a character, um, you know, associated with Guardians of the Galaxy. They could. See, I, I think, too, we're at this interesting point where some of the quote-unquote fringe characters... Well, let me back up even farther. The notion of these Marvel movies back in the mid-2000s, they already were going to have the B-team at best and then more fringe characters from there, so therefore it was going to fail. Obviously, it hasn't. You think of the success of Guardians of the Galaxy and maybe Ant-Man as... You know, nobody was lining up 15 years ago saying, where is my Ant-Man movie with multiple Ant-Mans and the Wasp? But it works when it's set up properly and when you're when the movie's well done, and when you're invested in the characters in the universe, etc. You know, some of the some of the rumors of forthcoming movies or some of the potential things, particularly contrasted against Fantastic Four and X-Men, you know, do they go for the obvious direction or not? Or do they plan for both? You know, maybe some evidence is this movie and is Homecoming, where again, 
it's very clear you got to do green goblin you got to do doc ock you have to do um black cat you know you have to do the greatest hits no they found a way to to not do the greatest hits to have you know more nuance out of some of these older characters so could that be the case here where they're not going to immediately do x-men they are going to do nova could be I'll just mention as I wrap up, Pete, I thought that maybe you were going to say, what if some of these in-flight documentaries, what if these are one-shots that show up on Disney Plus? Here's your 20-minute Tony Stark, <laughs> you know, your, your your 2020 segment about Tony Stark. Here's your PBS Nova with, you know, with the real actor playing uh, Dr. Selvig, et cetera, where you just, you know... You, you get the actor for two days, you crank out a thing, you put some effects in there, and you just make it a science special. Everybody knows, Matt, that the actor died after filming the Chernobyl miniseries. Pete, you may be confusing real life and movies, but that's okay. Uh, let's pop back to Venice here, Pete. Did you know that in Venice, in the year 2023, nobody brings cell phones to Venice, and when crazy things happen, nobody spies that there's a spider person going around shooting web etc i get it that it happens during the water elemental and there's spray everywhere and they that's why they couldn't bring out dare bring out their most prized possessions in their phones matt um but at the same time it's you know in a, in a movie that's set in a fictional uh, universe, it's one of the things that you have to suspend most of your disbelief because how does nobody see this kid is doing this without a costume on? Pete, I have an answer. The answer is people did see it, but because nobody in the Sony universe uses any <laughs> device other than Sony devices, maybe they don't work as well with water. Maybe they haven't invested time like apple and some of the some of the chinese companies into those rubber seals and whatnot so maybe there's lots of footage like hey who is that kid zoom in bzz, bzz, bzz. oh man my sony phone died you have completely figured it out matt so figure this one out all right uh nick fury is in space with the scrolls we have talos we have his wife soren who have been assuming their identities revealed in that final credits scene uh you mentioned before that it's indeed nick fury at uh tony stark's funeral sorry guys moratorium on avengers endgame spoilers is long since passed so the particularly since the movie says it at the top of the movie yes the question uh remains did nick fury and maria hill get snapped or did uh, Talos and Soren get snapped? The primary piece of evidence would seem to be that Maria Hill calls him Nick as she disappears. Nobody calls him Nick, Matt. I learned that in the 1990s in a little movie called Captain Marvel. Ergo, uh, Talos and Soren were snapped. Nick Fury never snapped. This is similar to the toast theory. Have you heard this one, Pete? No. Um, and it's something that my wife brought to me, and she has not seen Endgame. Uh, so I, it was like I didn't want to talk about it. But it, basically it's this. In Homecoming, pardon me, in Captain Marvel, 
um, he references how he only eats his toast diagonally. Yes. yes and yes. then there since has somewhere there has been a scene where he's not eating his toast diagonally, and then that has been picked up. Yeah, that 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 was out there for a while, I guess, since Captain Marvel. But that that was picked up ahead of, uh, or if not before, Far From Home, and certainly after it, and some of the the scroll stuff. So she's telling this to me, and I don't want to be like, we can't have this discussion, and don't read that BuzzFeed article anymore, because then you're going to find out, you're going to ruin this movie, and you also might find out stuff about Endgame, et cetera, et cetera. But I think the bottom line is this, Pete. Hashtag it's all connected, but sometimes we need to cool it with the notion that, like, you know, Kevin Feige sat there with a big uh, feather quill and dipped it in ink and said, <laughs> aha, I shall personally handwrite this line in order to set things up three movies later, et cetera, et cetera. I don't care how Fury eats his toast. Further, furthermore, as you kind of hinted at, Pete, he says something about his name in 1994. That's primarily a setup so he can figure out that his boss is not his boss. That's the purpose of it. That's the purpose of that whole thing. And it gets reinforced a couple of times, but it's a setup set up for a gag, which is, why did he just call me Nicholas? Oh, there are shapeshifters. That's why it's there. Are we going to hang our hat on that? Then let's fast forward, what, 25 plus years later to she calls him Nick, which could have been an ad lib line, could have been in this, could have been that. Let's not forget, these movies get made by people. This is not like down from the mount handed to Moses. So could he have changed his opinion? Could he have let Maria Hill in as a as a as a person? I'm not suggesting anything untoward. Just could could he be more friendly with her than anybody else since then? Uh, sure, let's go with that. Is Mysterio really dead? I think they would be ill served to bring him back, surprise surprise style, just because you know there needs to be a certain. You can't have people returning from the grave nonstop because then you don't believe. Uh, you don't believe what you've been told in the first place. Yes, he's the master of illusion and all of that, but let's not spoil this great one film run of Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio. Let's just leave it right there. Pete, you, you could bring him back for another uh, MIT backstage scene, but that's about it. Where is our Spidey cop scene that chronologically takes place before his trip to Europe that was in a trailer? Uh, Pete, it is the exact same place as the Peter Parker here to pick up a passport, please scene and the same place as the scene shot for Far From Home in which um, Mr. Neighbor Guy who makes the nice sandwiches um, shows up in this movie, too. They were all cut. They're all going to be on the home release in a I don't know if they're going to brand it as a Marvel one shot. It certainly was not shot separately, but that is coming as a short on the home video release. How about the uncle Ben suitcase, Matt? Are we ever going to get our uncle Ben and will it be played by Toby McGuire? Let's see. We had uncle Ben in Toby one. He showed up in Toby two. He showed up in Toby three. He showed up in Garfield one. Uh, and I never saw Garfield 2. So guess what? We don't need any more Uncle Ben. Here's what happened. He was a good guy. Guess what he said, Pete? With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> then uh, because Peter was a you know narcissistic teenager, as one tends to be, uh, he didn't stop 
uh, robbery guy, and Uncle Ben got killed. Uh, surprise in Spider-Man Three, it's actually also the guy from uh, from Wings who helped out indirectly in killing him. Whatever, we've had enough Uncle Ben. We had the moment. It's time to move on and do something new. Let's check the wire. Pete, we have some tweets talking about this film. First up from our pal Bob Keeley, Dr. Bob, to those in the know. Uh, it is very good, and yes, probably the best Spider-Man movie so far. Great mid-credit scene. Pete, Bob, weighing in on the debate here. Is this movie better than Spider-Man 2? Your thoughts? I've felt for a very long time that Spider-Man 2 is overrated, and it does not hold up well 15 years later. I definitely recognize its station, its spot in our pantheon, um, Doc Ock, the whole nine yards. I don't know. I don't know if you can surpass the original for what it was, for what it represented. But darn if this movie doesn't make you have that conversation. We also have a tweet from Hydra Lives. That's Hydra underscore Lives. Just saw it. I'm so confused, but I love that I am. I have questions I hope you can shed some light on. Looking forward to the pod. Pete, hopefully we've covered those questions there. If not, you know, be in touch. We can always talk more Spider-Man. Lastly, Pete, a tweet from Sarcastic Canadian that's at Hard luck, T. Jason, which, Pete, you and I discussed via text. Is he being sarcastic here or not? But here's the tweet. Ruining the plot with the very first trailer sucked. Using cut footage for trailers is nice, but I would have liked to see the entire restaurant fight scene. The mid credit scene ruined the movie for me. It's like a gut punch at the end. I, I don't know if there's sarcasm, if it's being so polite because it's Canadian. I, I just don't know. And if that mid-credit scene ruined you, I, I need to be ruined more often. Pete, what are they saying over there on the Facebook? Well, Matt, a friend of the podcast, Mary Kirk, writes, So effing fantabulizing. And the post credit scenes had me screaming. Uh, that's what we saw we had people screaming in joy at the at the uh, post credit scene so totally agree here with mary sarah lloyd writes into the fantastic geek facebook page my official take on spider-man far from home is that it is the perfect amuse-bouche for the next phase it was a fun little bite while giving us a glimpse of what's to come mj is still my favorite and aspire to be that snarky something that i don't think that we've talked about up until this point so i'm glad that the uh glad that the listener there gives us an opportunity to do so i think that this movie amongst all the other things you know post end game and dead tony and new avenger and all of this stuff it captures that high school sense of falling in love in a way that other movies have done, you know, see your John Hughes, etc. But it just comes across as so authentic. And these actors who are in their 20s, which, you know, you could be 22 and that's, there's a lot of life that's been lived since you were 16. You buy that Zendaya and you buy that Tom Holland are high school juniors, not, you know, wealthy millionaires who can buy alcohol <laughs> legally in any country and major stars and all that you just buy that they're 
these awkward people who are trying to connect and can't quite do it and put up different facades of mumbling and different facades of, well, I'm too cool for that, or I got to this, or my tummy hurts. Or You buy the high school portion as much as you buy the fact that he's a Spider-Man. Pete Will, that's a.k.a. Hydra Lives, also followed up with some of his thoughts, questions, etc. via email. Let's dive into it. Here are Will's words. Uh, so, had he not had the Peter Tingle the whole time he's been in the MCU, or has it just been missing recently? He mentioned his senses were turned up to 11 in Civil War, but we haven't really had any mention of it since. Now suddenly it's not working, so wondering if this is just a Tony Stark slash pseudo Uncle Ben just died thing that caused it to be blocked. It's story convenience is, is what it is, so that we can make a bigger thing of it by the end of the film. I'll add to was he completely aware it was a thing like I you know I know there are shots let's say in homecoming of oh no a big thing is thrown my way but you know did he know it was spider sense versus oh wait this is now a a tool in my arsenal to use I, I tend to to be a bit more forgiving on this topic compared to you Pete I feel like there are instances to the contrary, but this is the first time that we are really getting spider sense in this movie. I mean, do we want to delve into what's unsaid? That's a possible explanation. He had been blipped. He came back. Maybe spider sense takes a little bit of time to recoalesce. Pete, I, I certainly can't speak authoritatively. My spider sense has yet to come in. But back to Will's words here. Not sure if most noticed, but MJ advised the boys to get a VPN uh, before the trip so the government can't spy on them. Then, after Peter uses Edith, awesome acronym from Tony, by the way, he can see what everyone is doing on the bus, but stops before it gets to MJ, guessing maybe he couldn't have seen her anyway because of the VPN. I'm thinking Stark technology doesn't observe any kind of uh, governmental regulations. No chill to Tony. Why would his tech have any chill? Uh, continuing here, since Cap was mentioned in the In Memoriam in the beginning, I'm guessing that the official storyline is that he died with Tony. Good way to hide his identity now that he's like 170 at this point, having lived his life twice now. Is that right? I did think of that, and I think that's the public story as opposed to, hey, we sent him back in time, and that scene that happened there, and everybody knows about that, it's, it's a private thing. Is Quentin Beck really dead? It was a nice video at the end, and him and his team are really good with illusions. Just wondering, could they be teasing maybe he didn't really die? I have to think this is the end of him. I, I know we had... Uh, discussed that a little bit earlier on the podcast. I tend to agree, you know, but is it is it possible? Uh, it's certainly possible. Since the scrolls were Fury and Maria Hill the whole time, how long have they been posing as them? Has Talos been Fury since the 90s? Fury looked awfully atrophied in his legs when he got up out of that hollow chamber, death <laughs> framework or whatever its MCU name will be. Shades of Tahiti there. Pete, I know we had discussed, uh, I believe... With the understanding from uh, Samuel L. Jackson uh, that the understanding is it was shortly before the movie began or sometime in the last uh, six, eight months, that kind of thing. Yeah. And as far as Samuel L. Jackson's legs, that that's just the way the dude's built. 
<laughs> Where is Maria Hill? Here, Will talking about the real Maria Hill. With Fury? Are they with Captain Marvel? Or did she leave them working on something new to be revealed in a future Phase 4 film? Pete, I'll add one more question to it. Or don't they know because they're not sure how well her ABC show is going to do and her future availability for things in the future? It's definitely tied up in that. Lastly, says Will, J. Jenna Jameson as the InfoWars guy. Uh, I believe that's Alex Jones, Pete. We're not going to say his name here. Uh, that's funny because Will says, I can't remember his name, nor do I care to. So we'll just say guy. Any, anybody who publicly uh, says that the Sandy Hook massacre did not occur and those children are crisis actors and their parents are crisis actors. And then in his divorce proceedings and in other matters of convenience says, no, no, I'm playing a character and that's all scripted. Uh, yeah, we're not doing that. Making J. Jonah Jameson more likable than he was before, I guess, by that comparison, Pete. But back to Will's words here. J. Jonah Jameson was hilarious and an Easter egg. Back to the Raimi verse that I did not see coming. They're always keeping us on our toes. So this opens up a whole new can of worms for Peter and his tingle that should be fun. As this literally puts him in Tony's shoes, and not by his choice, at the end of Iron Man. Thanks, you guys, for the best. Listen to the Shield Pod every week as usual. Keep doing what you're doing. Pete, that's from Will. Thank you very much, Will. Pete, now the time has come. We have all those reviews in a raffle, in a basket, in a, in a bucket. I don't know what it is. I can't see it on your end, but I know. In a hat. <laughs> in a hat. It's all written out, ready to go. Are there any words you want to say before you find our winner? Other than shaking it up real good here, I'm going to reach in and grab myself a winner. And the winner is Dr. Polo. Well, Pete, congratulations to him there. Certainly a longtime listener and uh, lady luck, lad luck with him today. Uh, I guess we need a third one since it is a three-pack of prizes. A person of luck with him. So there we have all our bases covered there. But Pete, for the runners-up, for the people who wish that they could have won, there is a backup prize that's talking to you on Twitter. At least I think it's a prize. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 10,564 followers, can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on FantasticGeek.com, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well, but maybe there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. Well, Pete, in the next week or so, we're going to be talking Jessica Jones. We're going to be talking Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're going to be talking Star Wars in general, The Mandalorian specifically. And uh, my goodness, Pete, if that just doesn't show that uh, Walt Disney is taking over everything that uh, brings us joy in our lives, I don't know. Maybe that leads <laughs> to a sad future, but smiles and happy faces today. But with that, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. What the... Thank you.